cooked from the day he walked into the hallowed grounds of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The minute I saw those cars crank up and I saw the colors and pageantry, it became my favorite sport on the spot. And that's real. And I was just blown away. I became a Tony Stewart fan. Tony Stewart, a native Hoosier, his dream comes true. Tony Stewart wins the All-State 400 at the Brickyard. That first visit to the track, Jimmy McMillan felt a little out of place. Not many African-Americans in the crowd. Little did he know the iconic twist life had in store for him. Jimmy's main mission these days, convincing minorities to fall in love with the sport of racing like he did. McMillan's incredible journey from the rough streets of Chicago's South Side to Chief Diversity Officer and Chief Counsel for Penske Entertainment on this week's edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Jimmy McMillan didn't just get hooked on racing. He fell head over heels in love with it. But his path to making a living in motorsports is something you've probably never heard. McMillan grew up in a rough Southside Chicago neighborhood where the vice lords and gangster disciples ruled the streets. Mom was a special ed teacher. Dad didn't work. And Jimmy witnessed a lot of domestic abuse, and he's going to get into that in a minute. Jimmy eventually went to college, dropped out, re-enrolled at IU, graduated, and then went on to earn his law degree. He now serves as Chief Diversity Officer and Senior Legal Counsel for Penske Entertainment. And I am pleased to be joined by Jimmy McMillan, Senior Corporate Counsel and Chief Diversity Officer for Penske Entertainment. Uh, in his office at the uh, world's greatest race course. Jimmy, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. How are you doing, Gary? It's a pleasure to be here. Excited to be here with you in the month of May. Yeah, the month of May is uh, magical, really, for the, for Indianapolis and the state of Indiana. What's it like to work there? You know, the track is, you know, a year-round entertainment destination now, but when the month of May rolls around, does the vibe change a little bit? Absolutely. Energy ramps way up. We just had a fantastic uh, IndyCar Grand Prix, GMR Grand Prix race where we had, I believe, record crowd, uh, beautiful day, fantastic racing on track. And you can just see the spirit of this place since Roger Penske purchased the track. But even before then, coming off the 100th running, it's just continued to drop up and up and up, not only here in Indianapolis, but across all of the venues and places that we race at the spirit of IndyCar and you kind of feel that tradition coming back, the impact that it has from a technology standpoint. But most importantly, you know, this is the town square on Memorial Day weekend and you feel people coming and starting to drift into the town square to celebrate, to enjoy, to to welcome summer as it's on its way and to feel that spirit of speed that uh, this place seems to bring. Senior Corporate Counsel and also Chief Diversity Officer at Penske Entertainment. Now, you've been on the, on the legal side of things. How long have you been with Penske? Seven years. I started on May 2nd, 2016, and I have not had a bad second at work since my <laughs> year. It has been absolutely phenomenal. I am blessed beyond words. I have the best legal job of any lawyer in the state of Indiana, I am sure. Now, okay, now talk about that because you've got the legal side of things, but also 
the chief diversity officer, a very important position added to your responsibilities, right? Yep. So on the legal side, I, I often describe that I have three primary roles and responsibilities as a lawyer. One is to make sure that people have fun. I mean, isn't that great? As a lawyer, my job is to make sure that people come out here and have a good time. Two is to make sure that uh, we minimize risk to make sure that people don't get hurt, right? And three is to make sure that our customers, meaning not only our fans, but also the folks who have events here with the various sanctioning bodies we have, and then all of our promoters that are partners, that we have good, strong relations from the, with them contractually. So that means everything from sponsorship agreements to event agreements, to facility agreements, uh, IP, all of a sudden I became an intellectual property lawyer, you know, making sure that this is protected, but also managed well in all those photographs and videos, what we have. And it's a very interesting part of business that I was really not focused on. I was a litigator during my time at Barnes and Thornburg. And then to come over here and see the other side of commercial contractual work has really invigorated me as a lawyer. Believe me, it's a lot better being a, a commercial contracts lawyer than being a litigator. Uh, your clients seem to be happier when they deal with you. And Roger bought the place in um, January of 2020, and that's the same year as COVID, but it was also the same year that we watched Brianna Taylor, unfortunately, uh, get killed. And then we also, George Floyd got killed. And like a lot of other sports entities, uh, Roger wanted to make sure that we were doing everything we can uh, not just from an Indianapolis Motor Speedway perspective and an IndyCar's perspective, but from a motorsports perspective to deal with the longtime belief that that motorsports and racing was a white sport and that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the Indy 500 was was basically reserved for white people. A, a belief that he didn't he did not have and didn't realize was so prevalent until he came here and got involved in our NXG youth motorsports program. He talked to parents of kids in that program who really touched his heart about how they had lived in this community their entire lives and did not feel welcome here. And so we have kicked it into gear as a chief diversity officer, various programs and initiatives to change ourselves both inside and out, to make ourselves more diverse in terms of our leadership and our employees who work here and work in the sport, but also who we partner with on the procurement side from the MBE, WBE perspective, to working to make sure there's a pipeline of talent with our diverse leadership and motorsports program and our support of our youth programs to base to also engaging with the community and being inviting and welcoming every year. We've welcomed over 10,000 new fans to our this track, focusing primarily on diverse fans who've never been here before so that they can experience what is the world's greatest spectacle in racing. Yeah, you mentioned uh, some numbers there, but in terms of metrics, how do you measure success uh, in well, the diversity area? We set a goal internally to make sure that we, uh, with respect to new hires, that from a new hire standpoint, that at least 40% of our new hires would be diverse with respect to race, ethnicity, and gender. And last year, that number was about 53% of our new hires were diverse. And we've repeated that goal for 2023. So we have that goal currently. And we're not you know, deleting our quality. Some people say, oh, well, is that affirmative action? You know, are you going to take anybody? No. I know for a fact that there are quality applicants out there. You just have to know where to look and you have to know how to look and you have to be willing to cultivate talent. So one of the things we've done is create a diverse leadership and motorsports program that focuses on bringing students of color from colleges and universities uh, into our workforce uh, while they're in college, paying them, paying their room and board and immersing them in something that might be foreign to them throughout the month of May and the summer so that we have that pipeline that you need and that you're looking for. 
The second thing we did was we looked at our spend, our MBE spend, and we said, let's set a goal of spending $1.6 million on MBEs and WBEs, was a, which was a drastic increase from where we were at. Um, we ended up spending, it ended up being $2.9 million that we spent in 2022. And we have a new goal that we've set this year that I believe we're almost ready to exceed, and that's only in the middle of the year. So we continue to raise that bar higher and higher. And we also pass those goals down to the people at the mid-level, the people who have the spend authority. Those goals are built into their corporate goals, which is ties into their compensation, which ties into their bonus, which ties into their consideration. So there's, there's not just that corporate high-level focus. The focus spreads throughout the organization with all of our goals. And then finally, we set a goal of inviting 10,000 fans, working with 100 organizations and inviting 10,000 fans to our events. And that is an intentional effort that, that I work on personally, because I think once you experience this place, for those of us that know, once you come, the bug hits you and you get it and you understand it. It's very hard to get it sometimes just by watching TV if you've never experienced a race. And that has been the most impact. You know, we're working with partners like Radio One uh, and, and all of the stations and outreach they have with 100.9 and the Latino radio station, uh, you know, 96.3 hip hop radio station, 107 R&B radio station, the gospel radio station. So they're here on site right down below Pagoda Plaza speaking directly to the community and saying, we want you here. Um, and we've done a number of things to make that clear, including bilingual signage, um, making people feel welcome by speaking to them in their language. Going out into the community when we plan our community events, we're being more thoughtful about where that race car and that pace car shows up, where our drivers show up, letting them connect to the community. And then when you see something like our special, our, our CW, special on CW, the 100 Days to Indy, if you look at that, it's very intentional that they're focusing on the diversity of those drivers. Um, they follow Paulo out to Mexico so that you can see his Mexican roots. You know, we want people to be unashamedly authentic about the fact that we have one of the diverse, most diverse series in racing. And then finally, we started, a, we started two race teams sponsored as Force Indy, which have black drivers. Miles Rowe for this weekend, and it was leading uh, in the point series, but he'll be back. Uh, Miles Rowe was just an awesome individual with an incredible driver on the caliber of, you know, could be the next Lewis Hamilton for sure. Uh, he's rising up through the ranks. And then we have Ernie Francis in our Indy Next, used to be Indy Lights, but now called Indy Next Series, who races for Force Indy. That created a spot for drivers, but it's also the engineers who came to that program who started out with NXG Youth Motorsports. Gary, I can talk forever about it. I get so excited about the things that we're doing because they weren't being done before. Yeah. And these are the things that are going to create change, but they have to be done over time. You mentioned and so many things you mentioned there, but in so many elements to what you're doing among them, the NXG uh, Youth Motorsports Program. And, and, and that's about what I would consider kind of grassroots and getting young people engaged in in science, technology, engineering and math, uh, racing and, and getting that that infusion started at a young age. How has that program gone? And, and do you think it's going to take you know a few years to really realize the the, the, the fruits of that effort or are you already seeing it? That program has has done extremely well thanks to the efforts of a local businessman and former racer, Rod Reed. Coach Reed, as we call him, my mentor, started that program 17 years ago with his part, then partner at that time in racing. And they committed to creating a pathway for students of color, for children of color to experience racing and not experience the discrimination and racism that they face 
um, when they tried to get into the series. And they started this go-kart program. For those who don't know about it, the kids uh, sign up for it and they get about an hour, hour and a half of STEM education on different topics like tire pressure, finances, everything from the science of speed. They get about an hour and a half of real teaching experience. And then they race. They learn how to race go-karts. They go 55 miles an hour for another three and a half hours. And what we do is we use that combined with our resources at IMS and IndyCar to immerse these kids not only in the act of driving, but all of the different things that you can do in motorsports, including marketing, legal, HR, catering, hospitality. So really widen their, broaden their scope of here are the opportunities for you if you are interested in sports and the kids love it. Um, on, on the low end, you have parents who say, hey, I now trust that my kid will be able to drive a car because we're talking about kids age 11 to 15. On the high end, we have kids who are really pathing their way through into actual motorsports jobs like the engineers that we have. And we actually got some drivers who are showing some talent and, and, and could get to that next level, particularly now that we have the Force Indy program. We program used to just exist here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and was very unknown. Roger buys it, helps us expand it. And then thanks to some sponsorship, we now have a program in Detroit. So we've got about 300 kids that we uh, work with here and about 300 kids in Detroit. And we're hoping to grow more chapters in St. Louis and Nashville, other cities that we think we can have a real impact. A lot going on. I mean, it, Roger Penske's commitment to this is it sounds like it's very real. It is extremely well. And when and a lot of these things would not be possible without his commitment. And, and it's something that's important. And it's just continuing to have an owner who really listens uh, to what we're trying to do, understands the challenges that we're facing, and obviously has the financial resources to do things like start two race teams and then maintain them and continue to drive and pay and fund them. You, you know, you mentioned uh, a moment ago that people get hooked when they get to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the first time, and I think that's that that's your experience, right? Do you do you remember that first that first trip and what uh, what that was like? Absolutely, uh, you know, a kid from the South Side of Chicago working at a Firestone down in Bloomington, and the mechanics down there used to listen to the NASCAR race on Sundays and tease me about not knowing anything about Dale Jarrett and you know Dale Earnhardt. You know, I didn't know anything about the draft and, and bump drafting. And they said, we're going to take you to the race. And I said, no, you're not uh, <laughs> about that place. And I have no interest in in uh, risking my life there. And they told me it's going to be fine. You're going to be great. You're going to love it. And I came and that was my experience. Now, one, I always tell people I was invited by by guys who I really respected and who I knew loved me, despite the fact, that, you know, the fact that they were white meant nothing. They from the day I started to the day I finished, invested in me and saw me as one of the guys. And they had a cultural experience that they wanted me to experience. And they brought me here to the track. They made me feel protected. I saw the Dixie flags, the Confederate flags. I saw shirts that said the South will rise again. I did feel like I was the only black person on the face of the planet Earth in the, in the facility because there was about 300,000. This was back when Brickyard was, was going. But the minute I saw those cars crank up, and I saw the colors and the pageantry. It became my favorite sport on the spot. And that's real. And Tony Stewart won that day. And I was just blown away. I became a Tony Stewart fan. Um, and I started NASCAR became my favorite sport. And little did I know that I would end up working here. I could have never dreamed that I would go from that place to now having the opportunity I have now. 
It's a dream come true. And I think about it every day when I'm with the NXT kids in NXG. We just brought this weekend, we brought about 50 to 60 kids from the Indiana Black Expo Performing Arts Program to walk through our IMS uh, production, IMS, IMS Productions f- facility, and they got a tour. And I'm just thinking to myself, I want every kid out there, particularly kids of color, to realize you can w- grow up and go to college, you can work hard, you can do the right things, and you can end up living your dreams. You can literally be excited every day to go to work. You could be thrilled. You could have a big office. You could make money and, and, and drive the IMS Tahoe. And, you know, you can have this experience that sometimes I think people don't, don't tell you that it's possible. It's my goal to make sure that every kid knows that that's possible and every parent knows that that's possible for their child. You talk about getting hooked in that first um, trip there. You also mentioned Confederate flags and those types of things. And does the feeling when you saw that and that experience, that piece of it, does it at all affect how you go about your business today and as chief diversity officer, that first experience you had at the track? Yes, absolutely. And, and it, I feel the distinction. You know, when I'm when I walked around Saturday, every time, every race, we get more and more diverse. Every race, you know, when you look at Paulo and the impact that he's having and you see his Mexican fans that come out and surround his garage at the end of races, every race, I see the difference from that day and what the sport was and what NASCAR was and what it is today. And the potential for growth for it to be a more mainstream sport and what that means for business in Indiana. If the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in the NTT IndyCar Series really wants to grow, it has to become more mainstream. It has to be more welcoming. It has to be more globally focused. And it has to understand that it cannot be viewed as something that is restricted and reserved for only a certain type of person. Every time we have a female driver in the field, you walk around and you see women and girls wearing that driver's merchandise, even if they have no clue who that woman is, because they can connect with that person. They have somebody out there that they connect connect with and say, that's my person. And we've got to be thoughtful about that, not just in our drivers, but in our, our pit crews and our staffing in the relationships we work with so that everybody connects with this sport. Everybody comes to the city of Indianapolis. Everybody wants to spend money. And then when IndyCar, IndyCar goes to other places, People say Indianapolis is important because of that resource, and I want to be connected with it and be part of it and spend money with it. Well, when we return, we'll find out how a guy from a tough neighborhood on the south side of Chicago wound up as a key motorsports executive. There were lots of twists and turns along the way, and we'll explore that when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank, see how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group Bank, all rights reserved. And welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week 
Senior Corporate Counsel and Chief Diversity Officer for Pinsky Entertainment, Jimmy McMillan. And Jimmy, you have a fascinating story. You grew up on the south side of Chicago, right? Pretty tough neighborhood, uh, you know, experience and connection to gangs, all that. How, how would you describe growing up? Grew up on the south side of Chicago in an area called the Wild Hundreds. Went to Morgan Park High School, but grew up right down the street from a school called Famous School called Finger or Infamous School called Finger High School. My mother always worked. She was a Chicago public school teacher. She taught special education for over 36 years. My father did not work and had an alcohol problem. In the area that we grew up in, there were two major gangs. Those of who are familiar with Chicago, you had vice lords and you had disciples or gangster disciples. And those gangs were prevalent and pretty much ran the streets you know, of Chicago. You were in one or the other. A lot of you know, wearing this blue that back then uh, could get you killed. And your parents used to have to check you every morning to make sure that you the school would send home a notice and say, these are the things that your kid cannot wear or should not wear if you want to basically if you want to see them when they do make it home. So you couldn't wear things with five point stars, six point stars, certain colors of Bulls jerseys, uh, Duke Blue Devils. And you would just see it. It just became a part of life. But my mother was very protective. So a lot of events I couldn't go to or you know, different things. But when I joined the football team in high school, I couldn't avoid it. And so, you know, I had situations where a gang jumped me and, you know, just because they thought my hat was turned the wrong way. I wasn't a member of a gang, but, you know, I got jumped up pretty bad and then had to deal with that and go through the criminal justice system with the the guy who did it. Um, And my mother was really trying to figure out a path to get me out. In the middle of that, my father is, you know, jumping on my mother, beating up my mother, jumping on me, you know, we were running We in the middle of the school year. We'd run to Mississippi with nothing but, you know, our underwear on, trying to make it, you know, through cars and old cars, trying to get there. And it was really chaotic. So at 15 years old, uh, my best friend and I, uh, you know, walking home from school, my best friend gets shot in a drive by. And my mother says, you can graduate from, co- graduate from high school. I want you to get out of Chicago, go to college. So I went to college when I was 16. And when I went, when I went to college, I thought things would get better. I went to Michigan State University, one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Land grant college, uh, became an RA, pledged my fraternity cap off the side. Uh, thought things were going to get better at home. They didn't. I go home one day, and my mother and father get in a fight over remote control, and my father ends up uh, shooting my mother three times. Wow. In dealing with that. I flunked out of school. I flunked out. By that time, I had transferred to IU because my father had tried to shoot me in the dorm while I was at Michigan State. So I had hit out and my brother had got me. My brother, I had a brother eight years older than me. He was going to IU, came and got me, brought me to IU. And then three months after that, my father shoots my mother. And really, that's how I ended up working at Firestone and trying to just live life. You know, I was that guy that you walk in and he checks in your car. You don't know it at the time, but I was a college student with a lot of promise and thought everything was going to be all right. And just like that, everything fell out, you know. And thankfully, it was because I was a Firestone that I met George Telefero and I met Kim Benson. So those who don't know George Telefero, yep. first African-American to play in the NFL, uh, who was also a member of Cap Off the Side, and Kim Benson, Kim Benson, famous basketball place. And they really guided and mentored me into how to get back in school because I didn't know. I didn't know what to do or how to do it. And George Telefero was super active and engaged in making sure that he made the phone calls to help me get admitted back in school as a independent study school student. 
took this, took independent study classes, got straight A's and B's. They admitted me back in, got straight A's and B's, got straight A's my last year of school and got admitted to law school here at the Robert McKinney School of Law. Did extremely well. Clerk for Justice Frank Sullivan when I graduated for two years. He's like a father to me. And then went on to Barnes and Thornburg and worked for 12 years before coming here. Wow. That is an amazing story indeed. And it sounds like your your mother was very influential and strong strong influence on you and uh, responsible for a lot of uh, uh, your, your path to where you are today. Well, thankfully, she survived. Uh, everybody here calls her Mama Mac. You know, an interesting story about her is, so when I had kids, she was still married to my father. So that, that, that saga went on for a long period of time. And I'm really into mentoring people, uh, particularly mentoring young professionals. And I tell them, life is rarely like up. It's up, down, up, down, up, down. And so I dealt with my mother and father's thing for a long time. And then I had my own twin boys. And uh, there was a situation that happened with my mother and father while they were with my twins. And I said, Ma, you know, I can't do it. I can't let my twins grow up in the same situation I grew up in. If it's going to be like this, you can't see them anymore. And my mother, about a week later, two weeks later, she came and bought a house in Indianapolis, one mile away from me, because she always worked and she always, you know, did well. And she never went back and has not gone back. And my kids literally saved my mother's life. She, I never thought my mother would leave and not return, but that's what it took. And now they are 14 years old and they've had a wonderful time growing up with their grandmother. I've had a wonderful time having my mother here in Indianapolis, but she's a Hoosier now, a proud Hoosier who everybody knows. Uh, But, you know, it's funny how life goes and you just don't, you don't stop. You don't give up and you don't quit because you never know what's in the store. And that's just been the story of my life. Every step of trying and pushing and developing and continue to do the hard work has resulted in God blessing me and allowing me to continue to grow and develop and get what I thought was never possible. So, Jimmy, in a sense, as you say, your kids saved your mom's life and your mother really saved your life. As you think back to your your, your upbringing and, and how diligent she was with you growing up on the, on the south side of Chicago. Absolutely. And I'm I'm blessed to have her in my life. And I realize every day that I wish everyone had a Mama Mac in their life, but they don't. Um, and it's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about mentorship. So I'm so passionate about programs like Big Brothers, Big Sisters. You know, this year we're doing the 500 Bigs for the 500 program where we're trying to make sure that all of those unanswered calls for Big Brothers, Big Sisters are are answered and that we get mentors for all those young people who need them because it really is about guidance and it really is about somebody lifting you up and uh, being able to give you the information you don't have and being able to encourage you in those dark times and being able to guide you to resources. And so many times in my life, I've been blessed to have that. And that's what I'm really struggling and pushing and driving for this place to be is a place and a resource for folks to get that. Yeah, as you look at that, your experiences had to have given you uh, a really special perspective when it comes to the work you're doing now with young people and the, the diversity uh, uh, initiatives you're you're leading there has to give you special perspective. Absolutely. It beats in my heart and soul, um, that passion for education and the understanding that some of the needs that we have in a business world uh, from our from our from our employees and some of the things that we struggle with, especially when you talk to owners of businesses, CEOs who are extremely driven, who have overcome obstacles 
and their frustration, as you probably hear all the time, Gary, with, you know, employees today and this generation, it seems like they just don't want to work hard and they, they just don't want to push as hard. Well, some of that gap has to be filled by an understanding that maybe many of those folks didn't get the lesson and the, and the teachings and, and have those experiences that some of those CEOs and those business owners have had. And the ability to have a little bit of patience and a little bit of understanding and set up some sort of routine mentorship program that's about, hey, I'm going to help you understand what my expectations are of you so that you can be successful in this role. I have the talent. I've always had the talent and I've always had the ability. What I didn't have necessarily was the wherewithal to understand what is it that corporate America expects of me? What is law school expect of me? And it was those mentors that filled in those gaps and those holes that helped me understand this is what is the expected performance in these roles. College doesn't always teach you that. Internships don't always teach you that if they're not good ones. How you learn that is someone really investing in you and bringing you along. And for my life, for my life, I've seen it, I've lived it, and I try to represent it with all the people that I mentor. Jimmy, what's uh, what's next when you as you look to the future when? When uh, folks come out to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you know, five years from now, you, so many of these uh, uh, diversity initiatives you have uh, underway and programs you have underway, uh, what, what do you want to see happen, you know, let's say in the next five years? We continue to have all the way from the top of our board, all the way throughout the organization, we become more diverse and more representative of the community we, we represent. That includes in our fans, uh, full-time, part-time, you look and you don't, you know, this idea that motorsports and Indianapolis Motor Speedway is white expo, that's eradicated. It becomes a place that's talked about in all households. It becomes a sport that's talked about in all households. The idea of becoming an engineer in IndyCar becomes a dream that is in schools at Carmel, and it's a dream that's in schools in Plainfield, and it's a dream that's in schools in IPS, that our drivers uh, become diverse, and that maybe one day I get to see Miles Rowe uh, who prices for Force Indy compete in the Indianapolis 500 and win. Um, you come out here and when you're looking at the vendors that we have, the food vendors that we have, when you look at some of our construction work that's put up, you're walking around with a, a black business owner. He says, I built that. Mm -hmm. You know, my team built that and got that role. Um, throughout the series, when you go to other places, you see that same push for diversity that you see here in Indianapolis. So this is not just an Indianapolis effort, but it becomes an effort in St. Pete, it becomes an effort in St. Louis, it becomes an effort in Detroit. It's reflected in the entirety of the sport when you're walking through the when you're walking through the plaza in the midway, when you're walking down pit row, when you're in the boardrooms, you see diversity and no one feels excluded, but they feel included and they run and they're eager to it, just like you do and you're starting to see in the NBA. And you see in the NFL, I don't think hockey or figure skating or racing has to be any different. We're all people with likes and desires and wants. And then when we're invited and we're included and we're, we're accepted, we tend to gravitate toward it and we do well at it and we're successful at it. Jimmy McMillan, Senior Corporate Counsel and Chief Diversity Officer at Penske Entertainment. Jimmy, your your personal story is really a fascinating, a great one. And what is so cool about it is you're translating that, giving back in so many ways to the sport and to Indianapolis and Indiana. Can't thank you enough for taking time, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so much, Gary. Can't wait to see you when you come back out here this uh, 
in this May, especially if you come out for the Indianapolis 500, the 107th running of this wonderful race at this great venue in this historic place. I'll be there. Thanks very much. Jimmy McMillan joining us on the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes, uh, more than 115 episodes now, and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.